My name is Kondwani Mwase. And the next episode is an all-access interview with Dr. Notabo Mube. I'm here to spread joy, to be light, to inspire, to empower, to enlighten, to teach, to educate, to mother, to revive hope, to be light. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. On the face of it, one could conclude that my introduction to Dr. Notabo was nothing more than serendipity. A more critical look, though, reveals something deeper. A kernel that's well beyond fluke. A series of events left us face to face. And after a polite introduction, it became clear that she was someone extraordinary. You'll hear her story from the source. But before you do, I'll say this. Dr. Notabo is a Zimbabwean who's taken up residence in Toronto. Her journey's been marked by tragedy. The loss of her mother when she was but 14. While most would break, she's thrived. There's no doubt that she's been tested by life. But by all accounts, she's come out of the dark days into shining bright light. Here, in part, is our conversation. My name is Dr. Notabo Guguletumove. Notabo means mother of joy, and uh, Guguletu means precious gift. And uh, I'm actually a medical doctor by profession and currently also coaching and uh, also an international speaker traveling the world, sharing my message of hope. I do believe that that's my papers. Uh, just if we can stick with your name for a minute. Can you okay. tell me uh, the origins of your name? So I'm Zulu Ndebele mm-hmm. um, and I come from Zimbabwe and N-O means mother. T-H-A-B-O, which is Tavo, means um, happiness. And so I think that's where it's derived from. Your name obviously has meaning. It does. Do you feel that it's representative of who you are? I do believe that. I believe that our names have the power to determine who we become. And, uh, well, now I'm conscious of it, of course, but before I wasn't that much conscious of it. And I intentionally spread joy and embody joy in every sense of that meaning. Um, As I was, you know, just growing up and evolving into a deeper understanding of who I am, I started questioning it and asking questions about where my name comes from and uh, what it means. So now I recognize that even with my brother, my brother is in Tabisi, meaning happiness as well. 
So it that is Zulu name as well. Yes, it is. Okay. It is. So I, I I recognize now that our names are intentionally given to us, so that way we can embody um, the meaning of of our names. Can you tell me a little bit about your early life? Right at the age of fourteen, my mother passed away through a tragic accident, and um, as I watched her lie in her coffin, I made a promise to her to be a doctor. And that I believe shaped who I am because I'm here today, a doctor, but not only a doctor, a speaker now, mainly because of those words that I, that promise that I made to my mother when I was 14. Your relationship with your mother um, and your father, for that matter. Okay. Are you close? Were you close with, uh, with your mother and are you close with your, your father? Yes. My mother was um, my backbone. She was my everything. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the woman that I looked up to. She instilled in me the, the values that um, have served as my foundation for the woman that I am now and the woman that I'm yet becoming. So I did have a very close relationship with her. She was a teacher herself by profession, and she taught kids who were coming from the projects. And, um, you know, she had this passion to serve those kids to the point that kids who were coming from the projects will come out on top in the city, in Blawayo, Zimbabwe, um, coming out on top, beating kids who were coming from private schools. So that alone speaks to... Um, that she was a purpose-driven woman, that she, she was operating in the rehab of a purpose. That's the reason why she was able to bring out the best in kids. So just seeing the life that she led, um, a life of service, a life of helping bring out the best in kids, serves as a reminder to me that I that I belong somewhere, that it is uh, my duty to also figure out what my purpose is and to live up to that and serving from a place of good intention and... Um, just serving from a place of wanting to to bring out the best in other people. So I believe that's how my mother helped model the woman I am now. Um, a lot of times people, when they talk to families or when they talk to kids, they mm-hmm. say, oh, you're like your mom. Where do you land? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. Well, people say I'm a beautiful blend of my both my parents, mm-hmm. but I think uh, I'm more of my mother than my dad. Brothers, sisters? I just have one younger brother. Okay. Yeah. And um, what's the gap between you two? Two years. Two years? Yeah. Are you very close? Yes, we are. Yeah? Yes, we are. Um, my young brother is, he's my everything, and I believe I'm his everything as well. Um, I think what happens is when you lose a parent, when you're both young, uh, you learn to depend on each other for everything. Mm-hmm. So we... He has been my rock, and uh, he has supported me in ways um, that honestly humble me. So, yeah, we do have a very close relationship. I'm everything that I am today, too, because of some of the sacrifices that he has made for me. Outside of your sort of quote-unquote immediate family bloodline, right. they're literally friends of the family. Right. Is that, is that the same um, circumstance that you have? Is this in relation to the Zimbabwean culture? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Much, yeah. So, well, I would say that um, pertaining to the Zimbabwean culture, I would say we are driven by the spirit of Ubuntu, which is really the spirit of togetherness. It means that I am because you are. 
I feel that um, as a child, you are raised by everybody in the community, not just your biological parents or your biological relatives. So it's more of like the community, your neighbors, everybody that is just surrounded you is responsible for helping with raising you. And I remember too, you know, in Zimbabwe, you could actually um, reach out to your neighbor when you needed help. Maybe you needed salt <laughs> to cook. Maybe you ran out of salt. And I find in Canada, it's different because you cannot really do that. But in Zimbabwe, you could afford to do that because of the culture of uh, togetherness, the culture of I am because you are. This thing called culture is an amorphous thing. It cannot be distilled into one line, one sentiment, one feeling. That's because it is everything and nothing. How we say hello, how we eat, how we work, how we protest, and how we play. It is the tone and the temperature. It is the air. As you've heard, I asked our guest about culture and her experiences moving from one land into another. I had the privilege of speaking with some other guests on the same subject. Both ladies are featured in upcoming episodes, including extended all-access interviews. You'll find those on our website. Here, in part, are their perspectives. Um, can, can you give me your full name and what, if anything, it means? Ah, so my full name is Sisonke Msimang, and Sisonke means we are together in Isisulu, which is my... Um, paternal language and Siswati is my mother's language, but they're almost identical in meaning. You've lived and breathed multiculturalism yeah. uh, all your life. Yeah, and I think it's really important um, these days to keep in mind how much multiculturalism is under attack and how fundamentally it is important it is not just for you know, we who are seen as multicultural, because that's always, like, the funny thing, right? Multiculturalism, you know, means, like, black or brown, whereas, actually, multiculturalism means everyone, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's... It's not it's, dual-culturalism, so it's, it's multicultural. Exactly, exactly, right? So, so I think it's really important to keep in mind how much multiculturalism is under attack and how fundamentally important it is for everybody, you know, like, um, the, our, the, the world as it looks today, if it wasn't multicultural, would be a feeling world. Um, you cannot build economies. You cannot think about sustainability. You can't think about a future without it being a multicultural future anywhere in the world. So the, the, the cities that do the best, the countries that do the best, are countries that are able to attract the best people. And those people are invariably multicultural. I'm curious what you're what you're saying. Obviously, is 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 bang on, but it it, it is from a 
macro level. When you move to a different country, how does that transition happen and how do you get through some of the challenges of going to a different country? Being a middle class person of the world, regardless of your race, um, makes life a lot easier. You have um, access to all kinds of things that make moves easier. So as I'm moving around the world, I'm flying, which is a very different journey to taking a boat, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, as I'm moving around, I am a very strong first, uh, first English as a first language speaker, which makes the places I've moved to easier transitions. Um, so that's a very different thing if you're coming from Syria or if you're coming from Iraq or if you're coming from Eritrea. So on the one hand, like at a personal level, uh, I have some skills and some tools that help me to move easier and to get to know communities and to um, spend, invest time in building relationships deeply. And on the other hand, I have some structural macro factors that have shaped me that help me do it easier because I am middle class. And Dombizodwa means uh, girls only, because that's what my family only has. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I, I love um, like the, the meaning of names because like the sister before me is Zanele, and it's called and she that means like enough girls. So they thought like they were done, and like, I came and I was like, no. Um, when you moved to the UK. What was the biggest shock for you when you moved there? There were things that we we thought were normal from Zimbabwe, which were different here. So, for example, like when we first arrived, so we like the thing of having short hair as girls, like that's just normal in Zimbabwe. But I remember like being because I, I started nursery here and then we left just as I as I was uh, finishing like year one. So I remember kind of being like in nursery and people um, being confused by the fact that we didn't have like long hair like the girls were supposed to right. in that sense. And I remember like when we were then just about as we were just about to leave, people having assumptions that like we were going back to like to live in like a safari, you know, things like that. But I think I didn't necessarily kind of internalize it in the same way. When we then go back to Zimbabwe, um, because what's happened is when you then like migrate and go to England, what you're always told is that you are Zimbabwean, like your house is Zimbabwe, outside is England. So then when you then go back to Zimbabwe, because you always known that you were Zimbabwean, always felt like you were Zimbabwean, suddenly you go back and then we had like really broad, broad Yorkshire accents, right? So we did not sound Zimbabwean at all. We sounded very, very English. But I remember that difference not not only kind of being an issue within like my peers but also within like adults so I remember having like a really difficult time going back into school and like my endeavor wasn't good at all but then that idea that um there was a particular teacher I remember kind of in year two who felt like as if I thought that I was better than her because I had this accent and because I had been to to England mm -hmm. whereas for me it's just like well I, I don't understand like the power structures that you're playing here because for me I just went to another place and I'm back at this place but what you understand is power structures as in like you've been to England and you think you're better and then you're coming back here who are you trying to like uh, right. kind of trying to front here so I remember kind of having a 
a really difficult time with her because she used to like purposely like give me uh Ndebele books to go stand in front of the class, rightfully knowing that I didn't understand, and make me read out in front of the class. So she wanted to embarrass me, and that kind of carried on. So then I throughout that process, having I had to find a way of kind of reintegrating back into what I thought was mine. So even like the simple things of like in in, in primary school in, in Zimbabwe, they used to do the national anthem every morning in assembly, but they sang it in Debele and I didn't understand. So then over the course of that time period, having to quickly learn it um, in, De, in Debele. And I remember like finally kind of getting it. And at this point, it's like we're just about to leave again. How old were you at this time? Uh, at this point, I'm about 11. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So go from, ahead. Like, seven to uh, 11 we're back in Zimbabwe and finally feel like as if oh yeah I'm, I, I've landed again I'm, I'm back home again and they're like oh no let's go back so I'm just like oh come on guys <laughs> <laughs> so it's like we're heading back to, to England now and then now that I'm older and I think as and it's important when you look at like at the point in which people migrate because now when you're like now you're getting older now you can start to make decisions about who you are as a person so but coming back at 11 12 you know I think like the first few years um they were quite difficult in the sense that like I remember like the first going back going into high school and suddenly understanding those power structures that that teacher in Zimbabwe had a problem with um so in going back into high school and I remember kind of being dropped off and they had like I had a school report and I remember it being given to the head of the school and I had to wait in his office for like the head of my year to come and pick me up and I remember him looking at my name and like the full like Ndombizotwa and he's just like this shit is too African hmm. and it's just like um you need an English name and I was just like, why Why does he think I need an English name? Like, what, what is he talking about? Because, like, being in Dombizodwe in Zimbabwe is not a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's but very suddenly common. being in Dombizodwe in England is a, is a massive d- deal. So he then, when he introduces me to the head of the year, he goes, this is Zoe. And I was just like, what is he talking about? And they walk me to the, to, to the classroom, and then he, then that head of the year proceeds to introduce me as Zoe. And this thing just, like, continues to go on throughout the whole day. So by the end of the day, I'm suddenly known by a name that isn't mine. And then also trying to understand, like, what does that really mean? I think that's the point that I started to interrogate, like, kind of identity politics. So what does that really kind of mean for who I am and, like, the person that I am in this space? And that, like, carried on, you know, like, throughout my high school to the point where, like, I would reinforce, like, this is my name, but then, like, it'll always be, like, oh, somebody in the register. I, no- I noticed, like, in the register it changed. Like, they completely erased my name and then replaced it with Zoe. With Zoe. Officially, yeah. almost. Oh, yeah, officially. And and I remember, I think, because I never said anything, and I also think I, I just didn't really have the language for what was happening, uh, I think my parents at the same time also didn't really interrogate it because I didn't say anything. And I think there's there's very much kind of a generational distinction here about what is going to happen to your children at that point of migration because for them, you know, they were always going to be Zimbabwean. Yeah. They're coming here and they're going to leave. That's it, yeah. you know. But they didn't really understand what it meant for us in terms of kind of everyday socialization and what that happens to you. So I'm not really interrogating this thing. It kind of stays on the, on the register. And I think it got to a point where I was about like... 16 or 17 and i remember having this english teacher this really like tall white english teacher with like ginger hair and i remember at one point he said to me like why does it say zoe on the register and i was like well because this is what happened and he's like well 
we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to remove this, and then we're going to put your name back. And it was, like, it was strange because, like, it was, like, this very English white man having to help me kind of make peace with, like, my own identity. Right. And understand, like, what exactly was happening in this high school. And it was at that point that, um, like, I started to read a lot more, and, like, I was kind of reading, like, other specific kind of African writers, and, and I started using writing and i think it was like the, the connection of this english teacher stories revelations um and what language can do i think that's probably what sparked like my interest in english and writing and it just became that space for interrogation side of the spectrum what what was similar what was familiar to you when you came if anything um i would say canadians are kind they're polite and there's also peace in this new place and there's also diversity um i think those are the two those are the common things between the canadian culture and the zimbabwean culture those are the only things that come to mind right now from on top of my head but yeah Okay, so if we move transitioning, I'm 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 trying to walk forward now right. through your life. Um, you get into school and you start studying medicine. Right. How is that the competition, the the challenges, and and the difficulty of, of becoming a doctor? I think for me, you know, this journey, um, well, living at Regent Park was also a blessing in the sense that I got aligned with Pathways to Education, a program that caters to low-income families. So this program helped me with mentoring support, tutoring support, and also financial support in order for me to be able to fulfill my academic studies, my undergrad. Um, That went a long way in as much as there were a lot of other challenges, of course. But, you know, with that kind of support, it made my journey to becoming a doctor much easier. You work there now? Yes, I am. I am. In what capacity do you do work with them? So I've been a tutor with them, but then now I also do speaking engagements here and there on behalf of Pathways to Education. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, that, that's the kind of work that I've, I've been doing currently with them. I'm hoping to also start mentorship, um, just going back into the community and helping those kids, uh, while going through similar challenges as what I also experienced when I was just getting here in Canada. So that's my, my goal for now. What, what's motivating you to go back? I'm, I'm assuming that your life is pretty busy and it must be a strain on you to actually commit time to that and energy and emotion I want to give back I've always um, attributed my success and everything I am to the people that helped me when I when I had just moved to Canada so I think for me it's a moral obligation to look back at uh, the place where I'm coming from to so that way I can pull up those people who are going through similar circumstances as what I had to go through myself so it's uh, it's a way of me giving back to my community. Why medicine? Why why was that the profession that that um, you were drawn to, and why was that you know why not law? Why not 
politics. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Ever since I was a, a young girl, I, I just always wanted to become a doctor. And this might have also been largely influenced by my parents who were both teachers because they, they kind of um, made me believe that that was, you know, a, a very good profession because you would have been helping people. So, But looking back at myself, I recognize that I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to serve. But now, you know, doing medicine became the most logical career path to take, considering my gifts and my desire to help other people. And also my uncle was a doctor by profession. Um, That's my dad's younger brother. So he proved to me that it was possible, you know. And you can also imagine as a girl child coming from Zimbabwe, majority of the people that make it to medical school are male, are males. It's not uh, female. So sometimes I I would question it, but just seeing um, somebody like my uncle was a doctor just served as a reminder that I too have the power to, uh, to become a doctor. If I go online and I Google your name, a few different things come up. One of which is a, a TED talk that you gave at St. Lawrence, um, uh, St. Lawrence the school. St. Lawrence College, yes. College, sorry. Mm-hmm. In that talk, which is a great talk, and people should should mm-hmm. check it out if they can, um, you talk about meeting Oprah. Yeah. Or, or you you talk about your life and, yeah. and sort of some of the hardships that you've gone through right very candidly and very open to an open stage so that takes a lot of courage mm-hmm. um how was how was that experience the ted talk first and mm-hmm. then secondly the whole oh if you can talk about the whole oprah right adventure right and then i got another question for you. i would say you know the tedx talk came at a time when um uh, I was not expecting it. I was just graduating from from medical school, and um, this is what one thing that I've come to believe now, Kondwani. It's that um, when you're doing, when you're in alignment with your purpose, life opens up for you in big ways. And for me, there was just graduating from medical school, having the burning desire to speak, to share my story, with the intention of reviving hope. But I certainly didn't know how that was going to happen. So a friend of mine sent my story to the TEDx recruiters who then reached out to me and offering me an opportunity to come and share my story on their platform. Now, recognize that I didn't have a standing brand at that time. I didn't even have a website. So I do recognize that it was that there's so much power in um, operating in your purpose because I do believe it is because of my good intention of serving that I received that opportunity. And, um, yeah, that's how I got that. So that was last year. That's fantastic. Yeah. And is it the same sort of um, um, energy that brought you to, quote-unquote, Oprah's doorstep? Or Yes. <laughs> well, I would say, you know, meeting Oprah happened in 2011 when I was just starting medical school. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what happens is um, I, ha- I was on a full scholarship for undergrad, but I couldn't really finance for my studies for medical school because it was a lot more expensive. So the same scholarship that I was on, they couldn't continue, you know, funding because it was a lot more expensive. Now, I hit a dead end because I didn't have enough money. And one of my friends around the time suggested that I send my story to Oprah Winfrey since Oprah Winfrey is all about empowering the girl child through education. And I went on the Oprah Winfrey website and the first thing that popped up was tell us your story. You become what you believe. So I quickly typed in my story at the age of 14 years. I made a promise to my mother to be a doctor and now I'm just studying medical school. 
And as Grace would have it, um, they called me back. They called me about three times. They were calling me on my cousin's phone number because that's the phone number that I put in that application. And my cousin kept hanging up on them, really thinking it was a prank call. Yes, you know. So, yeah. And um, eventually she then asked me, did you send anything to Oprah Winfrey? And I said, yes, I did. And that's when she reached out to me and said, well, um, these people keep on calling for you. They're saying they're calling from Harper Studios. Um, so I guess I have to transfer your number. I said, sure. So then they ended up uh, being able to get through to me. And I went through two series of interviews with them. And I would say that I think for me, it came at a time when I didn't quite know who I am. I was still young, 22 years. I was set on becoming a doctor, was not seeing anything beyond that. So just being in the presence of Oprah Winfrey and listening to the stories of such phenomenal and incredible women who were in the room on that day. I was the youngest there. A majority of the women were in their 40s and had already accomplished a lot of amazing things. But just listening to Oprah tell her story about coming from rural Mississippi and having emerged as a powerful voice of hope and inspiration in the world just served as a reminder to me that I am possible, that I too have the power to turn my struggles into strength and my pain into something that is bigger than myself, my peppers. And she is the woman that sought, that deposited that seed of uh, uh, changing and impacting people's lives through speaking. And I have her to thank because I wouldn't see the world um, through the lens that I do now if it wasn't for the seed of hope, the seed of destiny that she deposited into me. Medicine, you're a doctor now. You've, yeah. you know, to I guess to a degree, obviously, you've you've achieved your goal. Right. Um, but it seems there's something else yeah. there. Right. What is that something else? Um, I'm in this place now where I'm sharing my story, of course, with the intention of giving people hope, but more than anything, to raise consciousness, to remind people that they too have the power to rise above their current circumstances, that in each and every one of us, there lies the power to transcend whatever circumstances that life has thrown at us. I, I do believe that it's in each and every one of us. So my my big goal is to create a platform where we can share people's stories, um, stories of overcoming adversities and stories that speak to the ability of the human spirit to rise above and um, Stories that remind us that we're more alike than we're different. Um, stories that speak to that we're all connected. And uh, so that's my, my big dream now. What's your weapon of choice when you have a situation that is difficult um, and you feel like you need to make a stand? I meditate. It's in silence that I'm able to reconnect with my true self. Um, when nobody's looking, mm. what's your guilty pleasure? Ice cream and any sweet thing, really. Yeah, here and there, sweet stuff, All yeah. Right. Vacation spot. If you could go anywhere in the world, three weeks, two weeks, whatever, where'd you go? India. India? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Why? The richness of their spirituality. Last set of questions. Mm -hmm. Zimbabwe, Loyal, mm -hmm. or Toronto, Canada? Pick one. 
Zimbabwe. That's home. In 10 years, there'll be a movie about mm. your life. Who's playing the lead role? Who's the doctor? Lupita. Nice. So there you have it. The conversation continues. I'd like to thank all my guests for their thoughtful contributions. Music for this episode was composed, enjoyed, and used with permission by Anjo. I invite you to visit us at 54lights.com and hear more interviews with people who are far beyond ordinary. Subscribe, listen, and like. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again.